Tomorrow morning, the boss catches you on your way into work. And he says, um, can you drop by my office as soon as you get settled? Need you to come right away. Uh, I've received some things that I have to tell you. You've gotten some feedback about the thing you're working on, the project that uh, uh, you're working on or you're leading. If that actually happened tomorrow, how would you feel? How would you feel? You'd feel dread. That's a great word. I hadn't thought of dread before. That sounds like it comes from something. We're not going to ask for like personal testimony time. But uh, online, tell us, how would you feel? The boss comes and says, listen, I've gotten some feedback about something that you're doing, something that you're leading. You need to come to my office right away and we're going to talk about it. How do you feel? Type your answer in chat. Uh, let's have some more answers. How do you feel? Not all at once. Slow down. Slow down. That was a little fast. I didn't catch anyone. So how would you feel? How would you feel? Anxious? Anxious tense? Did I hear tense? What else? Curious. Be curious. That's a good one. I like that. Now, um, if that happened to me, I would feel all sorts of, oh no, what have I done? Right? And I would think... And this is just who I am. This is how I'm wired. What I would do is I would actually just, well, before we do that, can I just apologize for whatever it is? Don't know what I'm apologizing for, but let me just apologize. Or I'd, you know, I'd say, yeah, let me just go drop off my stuff and I'll be right there. And I would run to the cafeteria and I would grab like the best coffee and donut that I could. And I'd walk in and say, hey, boss, just for you. Hey, what do you want to talk about? Right? You try and set the mood in case it's going to be bad news. Because, maybe you're like me, receiving feedback is hard. Is that true for you? We almost need a cricket sound when that kind of thing happens, right? Like one of the, listen, an MP3 or a wave file of just crickets. Does that, is that, is that you say amen? Sometimes, yeah, I think so. It, I think it started, and it starts for most of us, in school. Remember, you'd hear that the report card came home. And even if you were a great student and you were doing well, you'd want to see what the teacher wrote. And some teachers just seemed to always want to say one thing that you needed to work on. And it was that one thing that you'd just be like, come on! Maybe it was something like, um, you know, Brian needs to pay more attention in class. That never happened. Right? Right? Maybe it was, Brian needs to participate more in, in group uh, teaching, in, in the class discussion, in group time. Or he needs to stop doing something and to start doing something else, right? Those seem to be the basic categories of feedback. So, that's tomorrow though. That's in the past we're out of school, hopefully. Kids are going to be done school soon in a few weeks. So that's exciting. Uh, college students have been done for a couple of months now. That's exciting. But what if it happens Sunday morning? 
What if, instead of a worship service, the pastor met you at the door and said, I need you to come to my office because I've got some feedback to give you about your faith. What would you do? How would you feel? Would you feel like, I'll be right back, I've got to go to my car, and then never darken the door of that church again? <laughs> that might be it. It might be that if, you know, if I sent you a message online before the service started and just said, hey, listen, before we get started with worship today, there's some feedback that I need to give you about your faith. Would you just reach behind your computer and just cut the ethernet cord? Would you like take your, your wireless router and throw it out the window and say, oh no, I've got connectivity er- er- uh, errors. I, I, I can't connect. I'm sorry. We'll have to talk later. And then never darken the, the web stream, the online service ever again. Oh, receiving feedback is hard. I mean, imagine, imagine we got report cards for faith. Needs to pay more attention in church. Needs to participate more. (laughs) Needs to start doing something or stop doing something else. Receiving feedback is hard. And everyone says, I'm open to feedback, I'm open to that kind of input. But one of the reasons why it's so hard to connect in a caring community is that one of the things you're doing is inviting feedback into your life. And we don't like it when other people give us feedback. We feel defensive. We feel dismissive. So welcome to Money Talks. Talking about money and talking about money in church can feel difficult because as my good friend Dave Knight says, you took a perfectly good sermon and you started to meddle. <laughs> talking, in money, uh, talking about money in church is difficult because money is a personal thing. It's your money. So we're having a series of talks about your money. And you know Why? Because your money doesn't lie about you. You lie about you. I lie about you. You maybe pad the resume a little bit and it's not quite clear. Or maybe you take that photo that you want to put on social media and you, you, know, you tweak it so that your dimensions are now your dimensions. And maybe that, you know, that, that thing here or the teeth or the, you know, that, just that little shape, that little edit, that little something. You just tweak it a little bit. And you're never posting, you know, this is what's really happening in my heart and soul. You're just posting the great things. Grateful. And maybe you have a cool font for it and you post those kinds of things. I mean, if you go to my social media, do you know what you see? Bonfires. That's all there is. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a fire in our backyard uh, uh, fire pit. That's all you see on our social media, unless I'm watching a Toronto sports, in which case my heart clearly comes out. Stupid Toronto Maple Leafs. <sighs> Glad I got that off my chest. Uh, that's not even in the notes, but that felt, that felt very good. You can inflate the resume, you can inflate your social media, but you can't inflate your bank statement. It is what it is. You can't Photoshop, Facetune, none of that. 
with your bank statement. It's like feedback from your teacher who knows where you need to grow, giving you a grade. All that to say is, we're having a series of money talks because your money talks a lot about you. If I want to know who you are really, if I want to know what you're really interested in, and I want to know what you're really passionate about, it's not a survey. It's your checkbook. It's your online giving reports. What you give to, what you spend on. That tells me a lot more about you than you know. And if I were to put, here's our, our budgeting software. If I were to print off reports and distribute all of those things to you, go, wow, I didn't know that about him. It reveals who you are more than you'd like. Your money is giving you feedback. It's a, it's a mirror so that you can see who you really are and it's a window that other people can see who you really are. And you know what's interesting about that? Is we don't like that. We'd rather put you know, boards up on top of the windows so that other people can't see who we are. And we'd rather kind of cover up the mirror or just walk by it fast and ignore it and not think about what our money is saying about us. When our money speaks about us, it might make us feel defensive or dismissive. But church, I want to offer a different option. I want to kind of say, I know that emotion's going to come when we talk about your money. I'm not talking about other people's money. I'm talking about yours. I'm talking about mine. Because this series is meant to be incredibly practical. So we're actually going to be giving you things that you can apply today to begin to do something with your money. Because we don't have to feel defensive about our money. We don't have to feel dismissive about our money. What we need to do is allow God to show us what's possible with our money. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to see some amazing things. What God says about money can influence what we do with our money. And what God says about money will change what our money says about us. And I want your money to say good, godly things about you. So my prayer is that our money talks will not make you defensive or dismissive, but it will be directive. It will give you some guidance, some opportunity to direct what you do. Because imagine, the God of the universe says, let me tell you what I know about money. I'll tell you what I say about money. And if you do what God says about money, then your money starts to talk about godly things. Let me show you what I mean by that. Before we do... I want to give you a moment to silently answer the following question. I told you, it's going to be uncomfortable today, I know, but come with me on this. I promise you it'll be worthwhile. Right now, what is your money saying about you? Don't answer. 
don't type answers in chat, <laughs> but just make a note. Maybe pull out a piece of paper or just jot it down. What is your money saying about you? When you think of your money, does it create thoughts of stress or peace? When you think about your money and what your money might be saying about you, does it make life feel like a struggle? Does it make you feel like you deserve more of it? That you deserve better than what you you have? Do you feel pressure from your money? If you answered yes to any of those, if you said, yes, I feel that stress, I feel that pressure, I I feel that struggle, then I want to tell you you're not alone because culture feels that pressure. 63% of Americans had income affected by COVID. 63%. Only 39% of Americans have $1,000 to cover a major emergency. 32% of Americans have saved nothing for retirement. 70% of Americans just plan to keep working past 70. 58% of Americans feel comfortable creating a personal budget. And that means that 42% don't. Money talks a lot about us as Americans. In America, we can print money. And we don't have enough money. It says a lot about us. It says a lot about Christians. And that's what we're going to talk about over these next four weeks. So what is it saying about you? We're going to see what God says about money. And what he says can change what your money says about you if you decide to put steps into practice. So we're going to talk about the very first thing, the very first thing that you and I need to think about when it comes to our money. The very first response, it needs to be autonomic, it needs to be something that we develop, it needs to be something as a skill that we put into practice in better and better ways each and every day. Let me show you the very first thing that you and I ought to be thinking about when it comes to our money. It's found in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 9, and it says this, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. All God's people said, what on earth does this mean? This is so mixed up. It's hard to connect what is actually being said here because it's a strange verse. Why are generous people blessed? Why are generous people the ones who will be blessed? In our culture, it's rich people that are blessed, right? And why are they blessed? They have the ability to do things. They have the ability to meet life's problems head on, and they have resources, and they have opportunity, and they have a lifestyle that allows them to enjoy life. The Bible even says that riches are a blessing from God. So what on earth is this verse trying to say? It's even stranger when you consider the person who wrote it. Scholars tell us that the first 21, 22 chapters uh, or so, uh, 23 chapters, 
of Proverbs were all collected and vetted and verified and written down by a man named Solomon. Anyone know who Solomon is? Do you know who Solomon is? Just type if you know who Solomon is in chat. Let us know if you know. You may remember him if you grew up in Tack Kids or Sunday School, that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. That as his father David passed away and Solomon took the throne of, of, the, of uh, the people of God, God said, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon said, wisdom, because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I mean, my dad did okay, but he wasn't the best of kings at all the time, and I need to do better, so I need your wisdom. And God said, that's a great request, and I'm not only going to do that, but I am going to bless you with wealth. How much wealth? This was Solomon's paycheck every year. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues brought in by merchants and traders. Also, all of the kings of Arabia and the governors of the territories brought gold and silver to Solomon. And just in case you don't know what 666 talents is, it's 25 tons or 23 metric tons. I don't know if that's just for the Canadians who are watching. Again, hi, mom. That's kind of cool. Imagine your yearly salary was 25 tons of gold. Yearly. You see, that's what the world thinks of when we think of Solomon. is not of the wisdom, but where on earth were Solomon's minds? And there are stories and fables that come up about, oh, it's like this Indiana Jones adventure where we have to go off and find the gold from Solomon's mind. But don't miss this. Not only is he getting 25 tons of gold every year, he's getting taxes from all of the sales that are happening, and he's getting tribute from other neighboring countries, from world leaders. This guy, who could walk to his sink, turn on the faucet, and liquid gold came out. Said, I'm, I'm not blessed. It's generous people that are blessed. Generous people who will be blessed. He doesn't say wealthy people are blessed. That's so confusing. Instinctively, you and I, we think of those who are blessed because of what they have. And Solomon says, please just let me strip away this this preconception that you have with wealth Blessed people are not blessed because of what they have. They are blessed because of what they give away. Blessed people are not blessed because of what they have been given, because of what they have, but from what they give away. So why are they blessed? Well, we have to go back to our verse. Generous will themselves be blessed For they share their food with the poor. The word for food here is is bread. Now, we need to understand what Solomon was getting at. What is bread to a poor person? What is it like to be poor in Solomon's day? Was there any social security that uh, he could draw on? Any 
uh, ministries that he could go and he could get, um, uh, you know, assistance from? Were there any charities that were doling out responses besides the temple? There was nothing. So if you had no bread, what happened to you? Type your answer in chat. What happened to you if you had no bread? If you were so poor that you did not have bread? What would happen to you? You'd starve to death. What's it like to starve to death? Slow. Your strength fails day after day. You try eating anything and it doesn't fill you. You have absolutely nothing. And someone comes and says, here's my bread. Here's what I have. And I will share it with you. Bread represents the I need this to live, else I will die. I die without this. And this is huge because we always look at people who are generous as those who give large amounts. But what this says is that someone who doesn't have much of their own, who shares bread with the poor, who shares what they need to live and survive, says, well, before I have what I need, let's make sure you also have some of what you absolutely need too. Other translations put this verse, if we can just show it one more time, Em, uh, the verse says, the generous will themselves be poor. Other translations uh, take the word generous and say the benevolent eye. The eye of the benevolent. Thanks, Emily. The eye of the benevolent. And that tells me that this person is always looking that before they ingest what they want, before they ingest what they need, they're going, hey, what might you need? You know, at my home, uh, if there's one piece of pie left, I don't think. I'd really like to make sure that Josh and Krista have a little piece of this. I kind of think, I want my share of the pie. I've got to get my slice of the pie. So Solomon says, God says, You can make your money talk godly things about you. If you shift that from, I've got to get my piece of the pie to make sure that someone else gets a little something as well. It's almost like generosity loves our neighbors like they are ourselves. Which, if I recall correctly, was something Jesus said as the second most important commandment that it goes hand in hand with the one that says love your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and the second is just as important love your neighbor as who? 
So you're making sure that someone else gets their piece of the pie too. The generous person says, I'm taking what I need to survive and I'm sharing it with you so you survive, so that you live. And so this is what this verse means. Generous people are blessed because they are actually saving lives. Generous people are a blessing and will receive a blessing because they are actually saving the lives of others with their generosity. And that means that when you look at your wealth, when you look at your money and you think, oh, I don't have enough to give, you are in the best spot to be godly. Because you're the one that Solomon is in awe about. Don't forget, he can just, yeah, you need bread, here's, take a truckload, good go. But when someone who doesn't have enough of their own says, I'm going to make sure that you have some too. That is an amazing demonstration of godly generosity. The kind that Solomon could never attain because he had so much. Anyone can be generous, which is an amazing implication. Because anyone can share bread. That means that regardless of your income, you can be a generous person. Conversely, flip it. Here's another implication. Conversely, if you flip that, to not be generous, it's to look someone in the eye and say, you can die, I'm more important. And the blessing that you gain is what? When you save someone's life, what do you gain? What do those who are first responders gain when they save someone's life? When a doctor saves someone's life with life-threatening emergency surgery and it's successful, what do they gain? A reputation. They gain a lifelong friend. And that is worth so much more because you gain influence through generosity. It's something that Solomon, because he had so much, struggled to understand. And yet if you've ever thought, I don't have enough to make ends meet, you are the perfect person to demonstrate godly generosity. Because you don't have enough to survive. And when you share that with someone else who doesn't have enough to survive, changes everything about your relationship, changes everything about your reputation. You gain friends that will never abandon you. You gain influence. So the first thing to do with your money, church, is to be generous. Because you will be a lifesaver. Now, I did say that we were going to give you some practical things that you could do. So how do you become generous? Well, let me tell you. Actually, hold that thought. Let me show you.
a long stretch even for me. Welcome to the ladder of generosity. Thank you, I worked hard on this. The ladder of generosity assumes that everything you do in life can be learned as a skill. Generosity can be learned as a skill. And just in the same way that you start learning any skill, the first thing you do is don't all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to give everything away. I'm sorry, Tony Campolo, but you don't just give everything away. You work your way up the ladder of generosity. In the same way that if you wanted to lose some pounds, the first thing you don't do is cut down to 800 calories a day. When you've been eating 3,800 calories a day, you work your way down. You start a system to gain steps of success. If you were to walk into a gym and become swole like me, that's a better, that's a better answer. I, my wife laughed. We'll talk. She's too honest. It's feedback, right? It's, it's the feedback. Um, you don't walk into a gym and immediately just pick up the biggest weights, the heaviest things if you're just starting to gain muscle. No, you pick up a weight that you can handle and you do the maximum amount of reps you can and when that becomes easy, you get, then get a heavier weight and you get into shape. The same principle is true about being generous. You get into generosity. So I want to show you how this works. You take steps. And this is step one. Give. Give something. Just take a look at what you have and say, I'm giving $10 and I'm giving it to Foodlink. Give. That's the very first step. The second step is become an occasional giver. And what I mean by that, what I mean by become an occasional giver is become a recurring giver. And the third step Become a percentage giver. Now, a percentage giver is something that Christians know very well. It's based on the idea of the tithe. That 10% of what we have, the first fruits of what God has given us, we give to someone else. But something you can do is to become, after I've put in this recurring gift, maybe it's, uh, you know, 10 bucks every quarter is become, you know what, I want to give a percentage of what I get and I want to give that to an organization I believe in, I want to be generous with that. And then after you make it recurring, start to build the percentages. Start to say, I want to give 1% of my income to charities and causes I believe in, to people I believe in. And then increase that. Increase that over time. And the next step, it's to become a progressive giver. A progressive giver is the person who goes above and beyond. Let's say you hit a certain percentage. You're giving 10, 15%, 20% of all that you uh, have. You're, whenever you get that in, you're giving that away. But then another cause comes along. 
Like, you know what? I'd like to do something with that. And so you give to that as well. That's above and beyond kind of giving. In, in our church, in our denomination, and in the churches I've pastored, we often encourage you to give, to give above and beyond to the GCF, the Great Commission Fund of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And finally, the very last step, which the latter says I'm not allowed to stand on, so I can't do it, is actually also the hardest step to be on. perfect. And that is to be a lifetime giver. And there's a shift that happens in this level of generosity that is aspirational. What do we keep versus what do we give is the thought process there. What do we keep? But that's when your generosity has become a skill that is just so automatic that when you receive, you think, How are we giving this away? How are we helping with this? What are we going to use for this? How am I going to make sure that other people have the piece of the pie? Now, we talked about godly, godly generosity. Do you know why this is a godly picture of generosity? Because when you give to God's work, you're saving lives. The gospel is the message that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, shall not die, shall not lose their life, but have it and have it for all of time, for all of eternity, everlasting. The gospel is an opportunity for you and I to be generous. I think one of the best places for Christians to be generous is with God's church. Your local expression of His family. When you give, when you take these steps, whether it's Gosh, I've come here for a long time, or I've, I've uh, participated online for a long time, but I've never, I've never given. And you take that one step, I, I think you're a, you're a hero. Because you're saying, I'm not sure I have enough, but I want to be a lifesaver. And I want God to use me as such, so I'm getting behind what He's doing. You take that next step, you become a recurring giver. More ministry is done, more... Uh, international workers are sent all around the world. More ministries done locally and globally. And then that starts to increase. You become a percentage giver in the church. You start to give above and beyond to all of the causes. And then you become a lifetime giver. What are the assets that I own? What's the legacy gift that I can leave? How can I use my stocks? How can I use my 401k, my 403b to benefit God's work? In the same way that I've benefited from my local church. Imagine standing before God. At the end of your days and Him saying, you are a lifesaver to these people. All because you gave. Imagine being able to use your developing generosity to spiritually save lives to help them find and follow Jesus Christ. Generous people are blessed people because they are literally life savers.
So when it comes to your money, and it talks about you, make sure it says that you're generous. The impact that you will have is greater than you could ever ask or even imagine. So, as we close, I just want to give you one thought to think about, and that is this. What rung are you on? And what step is God asking you to take to move up the ladder of success, the ladder of generosity? May our church be a place where lives are saved. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so, so much for the way that you have blessed us. And would you help us to view the blessings that you give us with the wealth that we have? Would you help us to view it as an opportunity to be generous first and foremost. A thing that we can use for you to save lives. Lord, I know the fear of not having enough can be very real for many people. And would you help us to trust you to take that step of faith Whatever the rung is that we need to move to, would you help us to do it? Even if it's just starting, would you help us to do it? Because we long to see lives saved. We long to partner with you in that, and this is a resource that you give to us to do just that. Would you help us to use it to be generous, godly people? Would you use us to save lives for all time and all eternity because of the gospel of Jesus. We worship him, we thank you for him, and we ask for the courage and conviction to walk in his strength in the steps that you're asking us to take, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.